Welcome to the regular podcast from Editorial Intelligence, the media analysis and networking business. You can see all our broadcast interviews on our EITV channel on YouTube and editorialintelligence.com. Welcome back for this um, second session of the morning. I hope you enjoyed your, your coffee break. And I'd just like to say um, very briefly, as we're running slightly behind schedule, it gives me great pleasure to welcome Martin McCourt, former CEO of Dyson, not least because I was born and brought up in Malmesbury, the um, home of uh, Dyson. So I remember Malmesbury before and after Dyson and all the great economic benefits it brought to the town and the region. It was literally zero unemployment at one stage in that area. So um, uh, Dyson has a, had a huge impact uh, locally as well as it, uh, nationally and internationally. Uh, Martin has very recently left Dyson, having done uh, nearly 11 years as CEO. He was with the business for five years before that as well. And he's just joined Montague Private Equity. So Martin, welcome. And uh, you're going to give us um, a short presentation and then we'll have a discussion and Q&A. Thank you, Hugh. Uh, that's a bit of a setup, by the way, what Hugh just said because he talked about uh, Dyson generating jobs from Almsbury, and I'm the guy that took a lot of those jobs away, so I'm not really sure how I'm going to get around that. You brought a few back, though. It's best to just confront these things head-on, I feel. Um, and, by the way, that, that, does, that is a very contentious issue, and it's, I was asked a couple of weeks ago by somebody, what did I consider my greatest achievement as CEO at Dyson? The answer I gave wasn't what the journalist printed. So he obviously wasn't of your calibre here. <laughs> and of the calibre of many of the people who are in this room. What he printed was that I said that my greatest achievement was transferring manufacturing from Malmesbury to Malaysia. And that would be a hugely insensitive, uncaring, and dynamically brutal thing to say. It's not what I said. But then I reflected afterwards and thought, well, I did say that my greatest achievement was taking Dyson off a plateau that it had hit. A great British idea, doing very, very well, and then the needle got stuck. And I and my team, we freed the needle and took it to the next stage. And the core part of that, as my, in my presentation I'll draw out, was transferring manufacturing overseas. That's what I said. But I guess one of the rules is that when you're talking to journalists, uh, it's always on the record, for starters, and you have to be prepared to stand by what you say. So today I will absolutely stand by what I say. I thought this morning was a good debate. I, I was able to sit in and listen to the, uh, the panel having a, a good discussion. Um, the, the professor who asked the question, there he is, and do, do you notice where he sat now? He's moved his position so he sat directly opposite me. I smell trouble. Um, <laughs> So do you mind if I just start off by appeasing you? Because I know what people like you are like at these conferences. I've seen it many, many times. Um, I'm going to appease you, though. Growth in RDD, they were your points, right? That is absolutely my agenda this morning. That probably doesn't get me off the hook, but I thought it'd be worth a try. <laughs> and also, I thought, uh, I see the, the professor at the front here also. Um, I was thinking, oh, you've expressed four points that I was going, where I was going to express two but that, that's probably because I'm not an academic. Uh, my two points were going to be, it's all about ideas and it's all about cash. Now, off each of those points flow lots of tributaries because it's easy to say it's all about ideas. 
how do you do it? So I'm going to use, quite unashamedly, I'm going to use the, the Dyson story, not in huge detail because it would take too long. Uh, I know you'll all know bits of it, but I'm going to use that to contextualize the point that I want to make, which is it's not about made in Britain, it's about create in Britain. And I fundamentally believe that we as a nation, we're not only very inventive, but we're also very, very good at, uh, at talking about it. I found that in business, and I very much think that about the way our politics are and our institutions are. We're brilliant at talking about it. And maybe, um, uh, maybe uh, Roman could have said this morning that perhaps one of the differences between Germany and UK is that they're not just good at talking about it, they're also very good at doing it. Okay. So with that, I shall get on. I'll try and stay out of the way of my slides so you can see where I'm going on this. I thought I would start by showing you this, because this is something that some very young people at Dyson created all on their own. The product that you see there, some of you will recognize, is the air multiplier. Do you all know the air multiplier? It's the fan without blades, right, which was invented by Dyson and launched a couple of years ago. I was asked one day if I would just come down to the, uh, to the research design development area where this was filmed because they had something to show me. I'm able to show you this because it's in the public domain. It's on YouTube. And this is what they'd done. Now, of course, my immediate thought was, are they on time with their projects? I mean, <laughs> what is going on? But then having perhaps a classier thought, I thought, that is it. That is an epitome, a wonderful illustration and expression of the genius that these average age 25-year-olds have and the way they let off their steam. Isn't that very germane to what we're discussing today? So I'm, gonna, I'm kind of almost starting with my conclusions here and working back to my point. Um, but a, a great conclusion that we could reach is we had the, it was a very funny, very funny question about the game show, and I thought the panel answered it quite well. I, I would worry about anything like that. I really would, because my kids... Heard I was joining private equity, thought, said to me things like, Are oh, you going to be a dragon? Right? And it gives them completely the wrong idea. Uh, sugar saying, You're fired, and being all gruff and bullshit. Get, well, unless you work in a very different way to I do, it gives them all the wrong idea about what business actually is about. The way that we should try and get genius coming out of the pores of society in Britain is by tapping into the people who already have it. Because that's how viral campaigns are created anyway. That's how things like Facebook became so big. It came from them, not from us, if you say that Zuckerberg is us. Anyway, right. So we have a great, why did I flick off that? We, are, we have a great heritage, don't we? A fantastic heritage. Isambard Kingdom. I think he's probably the closest model to James Dyson, who I worked for, uh, in that he, he was a very clear thinker, very practical, and he kind of got on with it. He, he was on his projects, mud on his boots, and so on. Uh, but James also adopts a very Edisonian approach to you know, iterative development, keep making mistakes, and that takes you one step closer to the solution. And it all started at the bottom of his garden, and he made over 5,000 prototypes until finally he had his eureka moment. He made a vacuum cleaner that didn't have a bag and didn't lose suction. And I don't even work anymore, and I'm saying that. By the way, if you did go to the toilet during the break, 
A, I hope you washed your hands, and B, I hope you used the Dyson Airblade. If you have, then you can feel free to shake each other's hands or touch each other in whatever way you can, because you will be entirely germ-free. So a, a success story like this, an element of it, is how do the competition react? Now, I think this has got some abstract connotations, because Hoover Vortex was launched in about 1999, I think, in order to try to thwart Dyson's endeavor to take over the world of vacuum cleaners in Europe. And what was quite amazing about that was that, you know how we whack on, and I usually do, about Chinese copycats, right? Well, what, are, what about copycats right on your doorstep? Because that's what they did. And all the patents that we had encircling our technology, they just bust right through them. And as a consequence, they ended up in court and stumping up several million pounds in the process. So I guess one of the things that I find quite interesting is that if you are a small business, which it was then, Sally, I'm not sure we could say it was small in the context you were describing, but when it was started, it was tiny. He was literally manufacturing about 200 vacuum cleaners a week in a tented uh, little factory area in Chippenham. It really was that small. But if you want to really grow, and if you've got a product and a technology that can grow, there are all sorts of dangers that lie ahead. And the, the, the companies that will succeed are the ones that take on those dangers, but we can help them. Our government can help them. We can help them because we can... We can spare them some of the hassle, some of the expense, and we can give them top advice on how to deal with this sort of thing. I think my favorite example, though, is that these six mighty manufacturers reacted when I took Dyson into Belgium. Right? Now, taking Dyson into Belgium is kind of like a very small deal. And we, we spent about 200,000 euros on an advertising campaign. And the advertising campaign basically said, bags kill suction, here's why. Okay? So it's quite full frontal. These guys all got together and took a joint injunction in the Belgian courts to stop our advertising campaign. And the reason why they wanted to stop it, well, it's obvious why they wanted to stop it. The basis of their technical challenge to it was not that it was untrue, because it, it was true. It's because at the time, I always find this really amazing, at the time, and we knew this, comparative advertising was disallowed in Belgium. So it was a bit cheeky, and forgive me if our morals were less than they should be for us to, to do this. As a reaction to this, we, I thought I'd just tell you some of my little stories just to make it more interesting, otherwise I'm going to be very boring. As a reaction to this, we sat down and thought about it and thought, well, okay, we've got to pull the campaign. It was worse than that. They wanted us to take any derogatory comments about bags off our adverts, our literature, our boxes, now, we were a very small company at the time, so this could have been a Class A disaster. And then came the blacked-out campaign. <laughs> so we ran exactly the same kind of ads, but all the things that they told us we couldn't say, we blacked out. And you won't be able to read this, but down the bottom, in French, James Dyson says, I'm very sorry that I can't actually tell you um, all these bits in black because uh, six of my competitors have taken me to court to stop me from doing so. How much coverage do you think we got in Belgium? <laughs> Yeah, there's a closer look at it. And we sent teams of people around all the stores with black stickers, and they stickered all the boxes. The campaign was so successful that we actually did a print run of boxes with black tie. Okay. So I guess that's turning adversity into opportunity. Okay. Now, but here is my best, best of all example. If this guy was to say what he said back in, this was on the money program 
late 90s, 95, I think. If he was to say today what he said then, he would be lynched because he stands for everything that rotted and stunk about British ideas and attitudes, manufacturing, engineering. Would you like to hear what he said? I do regret that Hoover as a company did not take the product technology off the shelf, take it off Dyson, and it would have lain on the shelf and not have been used. I do regret that Hoover as a company did not take the product technology off the shelf, take it off Dyson, and it would have lain on the shelf and not have been used. It would have lain on the shelf and not have been used. Um, you have to indulge me. I did the bit at the end. They didn't do that in the money programme. That wouldn't be considered good broadcasting journalism. But he basically said what he said, right? Which was incredible. This, this, this is just, I think, ref indicative of some of the attitudes at the time. There was this absolutely hot idea that they could have taken up as a major branded manufacturer. But all they saw was threat. They didn't see opportunity. So I'm going to flick forward a little bit now. This is some footage of Dyson Manufacturing pre the transfer. So this was taken in the late 90s. Uh, Hugh, your hometown. We were manufacturing something at its peak, like 1,500,000 vacuum cleaners per year. And Hugh, I know you wouldn't have been one of those to complain, but we got lots of complaints from the local residents. Because unfortunately, health and safety rules say that if you reverse a forklift truck, it has to go beep, beep, beep. And if that's at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning and you're just over the bushes, it's not very nice. So we got as many complaints as we did plaudits uh, for the work we were doing there. Um, at this time, though, it, you know, the company was a real darling. It was like the talk of uh, UK PLC, wasn't it? And here's the Queen visiting. I mean, this, just to give you an idea, we really were hitting all-time highs in industrial society in the UK. Uh, we had plans to, those of you, I don't know if any of you know the Malmesbury area, but we have this big site there. We were running out of space. We wanted to do venturesome projects like America, more work in Asia. We needed more space. We were working 24-7. We ran out of space. We were looking for planning permission. We couldn't get the planning permission. And actually, I must confess, I wasn't surprised. And, I, and if anything, I was rather relieved by that because... We, we were in a very expensive manufacturing zone where we were already having to bus people in from as far away as Bristol and Newbury. And in manufacturing terms, that is quite far. And we had a problem, really, in filling the, the factory with workers. We had the late Prime Minister, uh, Gordon Brown. He came down to open our new research design development centre. So everything was going really well until this happened. Because we couldn't expand where we were, and also because the supply chain, there was quite a lot of talk about supply chain this morning, the centre of gravity for a supply chain, if you're making a vacuum cleaner, had long since shifted out of Europe and into Asia. So we were becoming increasingly uneconomic. We were sourcing the componentry that we required from one side of the world, bringing it to the UK, turning it into the finished product, and then sending a significant proportion of the finished machines back in that direction. So it was becoming very uneconomic indeed. So when we applied for uh, permission to expand, we got this kind of coverage. And then when we said we were transferring, we got this kind of coverage. That's an unusually direct header for the Sun, I always thought. There you go. Um, perhaps a slightly tamer 
uh, one here. So we, we went from being the hero to pretty much zero. You know that hero in zero column? Uh, we would definitely have been in the zero around this time. So it knocked us for six. Now, of course, we tried to get across that we were doing this for the greater good of the business, that this would allow us to expand our manufacturing capacity, to jump onto the global stage. Forget it. It's almost not worth me even boring you with our messages. The reaction was pretty bad. So what do we do? The model that we adopted was we did not, by the way, go to China. And I'd like to explain that later, why we didn't, and also why I'm particularly pleased that we didn't. We went to Malaysia. Malaysia opened its arms to us because it was already the home of quite high-tech manufacturing, but it was going through a bit of a bad patch because a lot of the big guys, for example, HP, they were clearing off to China. So they had surplus capacity. So we capitalized on that. This is one of the partners we work with. Partner model, subcontracted, not joint venture, not doing it ourselves. Uh, they provided the factories and the people. We provided the tools to make the moldings, the plant and equipment, uh, the line side technology. And also we had a shadow team. I call it a shadow. Uh, last year it was 800 people in a company called DMSB, Dyson Malaysia Sinbahad. So that was how we did it. And this was no sweatshop. Uh, these factories, there then there was one, and now there are about eight of them. Uh, by the way, then there were 1,500,000 pieces being made at the time of transfer. Today, it's about 6.3 million. That's all happened in 10 years. These factories are modern. Uh, they have very high-tech equipment in them. Uh, they're brightly lit. They, the, the operators who work there are quite pleased relative to the environment they're in to work there and so on. That allowed us, that's me, not the yellow one, the one in the middle, that allowed us to do, to, to do things that we wanted to do. So I want to make that point. This decision was, I often describe it to, to people as we secured our future rather than our fate. We sealed our future rather than our fate, I should say. That decision liberated us. I, I won't go into the economics too much, Hugh, but it, it reduced our cost base by something like 40%. It drove cash, cash, to put in alongside ideas. We were able to do America. Can I have just two minutes in America? Because I have to tell you what happened when we went into America. This is the hottest vacuum in Hollywood, the Dyson vacuum. Celebrities love this vacuum. You guys, that is an awesome vacuum. So many. A vacuum? Yes. What a perfect gift for a woman, a vacuum. <laughs> it's really strong. It moves the dirt at like 600 miles per hour. Wow, that's fast dirt. Dyson, man who just the reaction was overnight amazing, and within two years, we'd overtaken the brand leader in America. That would have been totally beyond our reach had we not taken the decision to manage our supply chain and manufacturing a different way. And I have to show you this because it's my favorite clip. Uh, do, you, do you know the Ellen Show in America? Some of you know? Okay, so this is from the Ellen Show, and it's really bad quality visually. I apologize for that. So is something I use at home, and everybody's getting this Dyson DC-14 <laughs> I have to stop it there. I have to, I mean, it goes on. I mean, only in America, right? So is there anybody here from America? Because, yeah, we love you, by the way. We, I mean, really, we do. Because last year, you bought two million of our vacuum cleaners. That's how much we love you. But the re you've got, excellent. 
And here's the opportunity. This is why I left that company. She's only got one. <laughs> but it was a marketing overnight success. But with that, you know, I was talking about how our European competition trained their guns on us. You, that was nothing to what our American competition did. My vacuum is purple. They say it doesn't lose suction. My vacuum makes me look good. My vacuum was in a fashion magazine. My vacuum's a wind tunnel, and it cleans better than Dyson. The self-propelled wind tunnel by Hoover cleans carpet 56% better than Dyson. It's proven by the only recognized test representing real-life conditions in American homes. After all, do you want people to look at your vacuum or your clean home? Wind tunnel technology by Hoover. Clean to the highest power. Okay, it's not a marketing conference, otherwise we could have a field day on that. That was a big one goal, as you can probably guess. But this is, uh, this is interesting. This is a company called Shark, and they put an actor up who was supposed to be James Dyson. This is the legendary Dyson vacuum. This is the Shark Navigator. My vacuum has no loss of suction technology. Mine too! Independent lab tests prove it deep cleans carpets. Same lab test, same deep cleaning. But my vacuum is lightweight. Just as light. Mine comes with a five-year warranty. Mine too. Look, anyone who shops online knows the Dyson gets four in five-star ratings. But so does the Navigator. And best of all, my vacuum cost half as much as yours. Isn't that great? Fabulous. Now, can you imagine? Uh, can you imagine one of these British enterprises that we're sitting here talking about, growth and so on, taking on the American giants without deep pockets, lots of help, and so on? That's the problem. That's why the expression. Uh, America is a graveyard for British businesses, rolls off the tongue. And then I do have to just show you this because we nailed these guys because they were infringing James Dyson's image rights, right? Now, are you ready for this? Because what they did was, within four weeks, they had this ad on instead. Ah, but this back's got no loss of suction. Hey, mine too! But mine deep cleans <laughs> me carpets and me else. But independent lab tests prove the Navigator has the same deep cleaning. But this vacuum is lightweight. Not since Dick Van Dyke and Mary Poppins. <laughs> <laughs> right, now, um, some manufacturing points here. This is a place, of course, that everybody seems to be dreadfully concerned about. Uh, last week, I was... Can you see right up in the top right-hand corner, Harbin? I was, I was up there. Everybody's really very worried about China, but China's also a little bit worried about China because its currency is getting stronger. It's under pressure from the West to free its currency completely. Therefore, its costs are going up. That's not the only driver of its costs going up. It's actually becoming increasingly regulated, so it's starting to do things in a better way than it did before. That drives costs up. You know, anything from health and safety to other compliance criteria, certification processes, right? So it's getting harder for it to be like the big export nation it is. Yes, there's lots of copycatting going on, uh, and that is a major problem. I'm really glad that we didn't go to China, because I think one of the points that was emerging this morning, somebody used the expression, uh, I think it might be Nigel, you talked about your value add, right? That was a major reason why we didn't go here. Because when I toured factories in Shenzhen and Zhuhai and so on, there wasn't much value add going on. So if you've got something that you want made very, very cheaply and in huge quantities, I'm oversimplifying, it's actually a very, very good place to go. It wasn't for us. It wasn't for us at all. But we need to be very conscious of the threat that they represent. I'll get off that one because we don't need that one. All of that resulted in, well, this is when our needle was stuck. The yellow denotes where we were. The unblocking of the needle 
happened uh, between then and 2010, which allowed us to get up to about 60 countries around the world. And then the future plan that James and his team have is by 2015 that it will be at 75 countries or whatever. So I, I think this is not a marketing story solely. This is very much a manufacturing and engineering and a marketing story. It's how those elements all blend together. And if I, uh, I can do this because it's historic, I'm told. I'm allowed to show you this. Uh, this is what happened to Dyson Group Profit post the manufacturing transfer. And then if you just go one step further and look at where they're trying to go to, I've removed any calibration, so you can't see what the, uh, the oh, I didn't remove the calibration. I better get off that very quickly, never mind. So I, the, the, the point, I'm just going to leave you with a, 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 a very strong visual of the way in which a company that is determined to grow by engineering methodologies, uh, by very single-minded competitive attack, uh, and by registering lots and lots of patents and then protecting those, and, and how that is actually ingrained in the system. But just before I do, the point really, and the way I would connect with the theme today, is that if we, if we really do want to drive growth, and of course we should do, we shouldn't concern ourselves overly about where it's made in view. Now please, those of you who are great stalwarts for manufacturing Britain, don't think that I'm saying that that means that manufacturing Britain, forget it. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that if we focus too much on that alone, we're going to miss the target. Because the target is how do we fuel creativity? How do we drive ingenuity? How do we get more and more people coming out of our universities clutching an engineering or manufacturing or technical degree? 4%, according to Sir Anthony Bamford's report, on behalf of David Cameron and George Osborne, 4% of our students are of that type. Do you know what it is in China? 25%. So how do we get it to be interesting? And I've got my own views on that, but I'll suppress those for the moment. Such is the attitudes within that Dyson company towards engineering technology and just total focus on it. This is an advertisement that was run very successfully for Dyson products in the UK. And I would put to you that you will see very few advertisements that run like this. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Matthew. Thank, thank you very much, Martin, for a fascinating and entertaining uh, presentation. I'm sure there are no BBC copyright issues there. Uh, no, only, only pulling your leg. Only, pu only pulling your leg with that video. Um, I'm going to throw it open to the floor uh, very shortly because uh, time is running uh, a, a bit. Uh, tight at the moment, but just, just a very quick one on this issue of the outsourcing of jobs. Mm -hmm. I wasn't actually in any way uh, having my tongue-in-cheek tongue in earlier. Uh, yes, mm. uh, manufacturing mm. jobs were outsourced, and it was seen as a blow at the time, but I think mm. the numbers employed there are almost the same as before. More. More, more mm. with, with what you might call mm. higher value creative design. Is, is that yes. a sort of template for British manufacturing? Yes, and a leap of faith, uh, because there were about four or 500 people lost their jobs out of a total workforce in Malmesbury of about 900. 
Today, Malmesbury has about 1,500 people based there, and there are 3,500 people around the world because the whole emphasis in the business has shifted. 25% of those employees, by the way, are engineers. And, and is that a template in the sense that the UK can make things in the UK, but I think from what you were saying at the end there, it doesn't have to, but you can keep a UK-based manufacturing champion mm -hmm. doing the design and the creativity and the branding, albeit making it somewhere else? Absolutely. And all of the invention takes place in the UK for Dyson. And I think it always will do, unless somebody comes along, uh, you know, something happens, James decides to sell it, and somebody changes the formula. But given that that's unlikely to be the case, invention in the UK, 100%. And that is a sustainable model for UK manufacturing? Yes, because, uh, because that is immense high value add. It may not lead to the actual manufacturing, but say you were to measure it in HM Treasury terms, before transfer, £5 million being plopped in to the Treasury every year. Last year, probably about 50, 55. As well as the creation of jobs and a global success. Global successes, even if they're not made here, are good for our country. Well, on that note, let me throw it open to all of you for Q&A as one of you. If you could just uh, say who you are and where you're from. Yeah, it's Maurice Mendoza. Uh, just following on from that point, um, I'm just wondering what our competitive advantage is in the UK in terms of um, manufacturers. I mean, what I, from the Dyson experience, what is it that Britain has, um, say, long term, that will attract companies, make them want to keep some presence in the UK, even if they expand facilities globally? What is it? What, what, what will they be looking at from Britain? What do they think we have that other countries don't have? Mm. That's it's quite quite a complicated one, that isn't it? Because you, you could be talking there about how do we attract overseas investment into manufacturing. That takes you down one avenue, or it could be how do we encourage more manufacturing, almost like uh, indigenously. Um, to the first point, it has to be making our country an attractive place to do business. Easy to say, but you know, keeping corporation tax. Uh, down to a lower level would help enormously. So we don't stand out like a sore thumb when you look at the international league table. But I think also offering other incentives. You know, when you go to somewhere like Malaysia, it's very hard actually to keep, keep, to keep ahead of all the incentives that there are. For, you know, there's everything. There's tax incentives, there's capital incentives, everything if you bring and bolster their GDP. We, I, th I think the whole way that uh, we do it, I'd liken it to a, a business in a way. If I went into a business and it was behaving in the way that, say, our country is towards future growth, I would probably come away from that business saying, I've met some very interesting people. I think there's some very good people there. I think there are lots of really clever initiatives, very clever. But you know what? It's disjointed. It's not cohesive. Therefore, it ain't going to work. Is that a, that's a comment on government growth strategy, is it? I think it, it, it ultimately is. Uh, but I know, for example, there's been a lot of talk about uh, we should have a manufacturing czar, just as an example. Um, and I was quoted recently, and I think I was um, stabbed at a bit because I referred to these people as dinosaurs. I, mean, I just thought that was quite, you know, quite a good sound bite. Um, not, not bad, not bad. Well, yeah. yeah, well, it turned yeah. out to yeah. sort of like have other properties, really. 
I, I don't think that that's the answer. Is just be, and there's another problem with that, by the way, is that you're probably going to end up with, and don't take this as ageist because, you know, I'm getting on myself, but you'll probably end up with somebody who knew what it was all about 10, 15, or 20 years ago and who has to step out of his office and get a massive team around him, whatever that's called, a think tank or a feasibility team, in order to get to the answers because they don't have their finger on the pulse anymore. That's not what we need. I, you know, I, I've heard some interesting people talking, not just on the panel, but in the audience. And although this is just a completely daft idea, but if David Cameron and George Osborne were to say, do you know what, we're actually going to create a team for UK PLC. It's going to have a CEO and it's going to have a board of directors. We're going to give them a budget, we're going to give them a mandate, and we're going to let them get on with it. Wow. That's ridiculous, isn't it? Mm. That's why I'll never be invited to number 10. <laughs> There's one here. Thank you. I'm Miles Parker. I, I launched and coordinate the London and the South East Manufacturing Alliance, which exactly looks at that point you've just made. Out there at the moment, it's quite chaotic in terms of mm. business support. There is a lot of government money floating around in sector skills councils, colleges, mm -hmm. universities. London's 43 HEIs attract about 3% of business input mm. of any level. Yeah, all of that is waste because of the lack of coordination. We have set up this alliance, which Coca-Cola are one of the leads in, and we've had several meetings in their premises and factories as best practice places, along with other major players like Celex, sorry, BAE, um, but New Holland Agriculture, the UK's 15th biggest exporter. People do not know these companies are thriving in the southeast, but they also don't know that they can't recruit because the image of the sector is so dire, especially in London and the southeast. The best way of tackling this is bottom-up. Czars won't cut it. Mm -hmm. We are coordinating work with um, BIS, with willing, uh, that's why it's an alliance, university people mm -hmm. and businesses who want to commit time. Mm -hmm. So there is ways forward, but you know, your support and interest uh, in pushing something bottom-up and working with other people in this room would be incredibly valuable mm -hmm. for London, Kent, Essex and the South East, the dual lap area. Mm -hmm. May I respond to that? Sure. I, I mean, obviously that echoes pretty much my own thoughts very well. We ran at Dyson, we still run, the James Dyson Awards. You may have heard of it. It's pitched at undergrads. And it, it actually was so successful, it's now run all over the world. So our students compete with students from Australia, Japan, everywhere. When you meet these, and they are kids, may I call them that, not disrespectfully, but they're very young. They haven't finished their university degree yet. When you meet them and you see the ideas that they've formulated, the working prototypes that they've been able to muster, it makes you really stop and think, hold on a minute, what's all this carping on about an ideas culture, an ideas society? It is there already. That's why I say that we need to find a way of tapping into it, get them to excite each other. Because, you see, I've got... Uh, two kids, two, two teenagers and, and two step-teenagers. And anything that I, any advice that I give them will be promptly ignored. But the very poor advice that they receive from each other is adopted in an instant. Right? So I think we just need to think. It's a marketing challenge. We need to figure out how to get this whole thing moving. Now, we're running a, a bit short of time. Should we take two, two at the back at the same time? Is that possible? 
Yeah, yeah. Just, just a very quick point. Um, Leslie Batchelor, I'm the Director General at the Institute of Export. Uh, we actually, uh, well, we've been around since um, 1935. We set up the Institute of Export in Australia 50 years ago set up one in Canada 35 years ago, and we helped the Malaysians last year to try and develop their own institute of export. And just really briefly, your idea about having, you know, um, um, trying not to be quite so disjointed. By the time I'd finished explaining to the Malaysians all the help that's out, out here in the UK for manufacturers, for exporting, for everything that's going on, it is so complex that we need someone to actually get rid of all this disjointed mm. support, stop all the targets, and actually get people to, to work together. Mm. Peter, do you want to add yours as well? I wanted to ask about your own trajectory. This may sound a bit invidious, but I think it's quite, quite important in the light of what we've been talking about. You've gone from manufacturing industry into magic land, sort of, finance land. And over the years, I've seen people, because this isn't Germany, I've seen lots of people, typically with engineering degrees, who made a great contribution to their businesses and then decided, because they were ambitious, that they wanted to be king. And they thought, I can't be king unless I either move radically sideways away from manufacturing or I go to business school and get an MBA and then I might come back and they almost never do they having got the MBA they go into magic land it's quite important here so far uh, is that it's magic land is it it's magic land, right yes. okay yeah yeah okay um so far, and by the way, I'm not, uh, I'm not going to be on the investment in the deal side. They've got more people per square inch in London doing that. They don't need another one, particularly one who'd be very bad at it. Now, I'm operationally focused, and the first two companies that I'm looking at, I, I'm not uh, at liberty to say who they are, are manufacturing companies. And both of them, and this is just a coincidence, are about the same size that Dyson were 10 years ago. And one of them is British, and the other one is not, but it's European. So I, I've joined that world because I hope I can help businesses grow in that field in the same way that I have done where I've been in the past. But uh, keep in touch. I'll let you know how it goes. And do you want to take the other one? I can't remember what it was. You sort of ex export joined up um, initiatives, is ah, that right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I was thinking as you were uh, phrasing your question uh, of a very complicated wiring diagram. If you have that vision, visual in your head. It is, that, in fact, of all the people I meet, I meet a lot of people who are involved in some way in trying to really generate growth in manufacturing and engineering. Uh, and it, it's very hard to find somebody who can summarize the whole game plan concisely and I, I now realize that the reason for that is because it's not concise. It's too complicated. That's why it's not cohesive. Uh, James Woodhouse, no, I, I want to congratulate you on uh, the way that you didn't indulge in cheap patriotism, the last refuge of the scoundrel, as Johnson had it, um, but made the case for creating not necessarily manufacturing. Having said that, I think you were also hinting, I hope, that uh, the world economy isn't engaged on a race to the bottom 
and Hugh, you might care to com comment on this. In other words, foreign investment does not always move to the lowest wage economies because wages are often a small component of the final cost of the product. So I want to ask you, given that, China offers us more than low wages. It offers us brilliant engineers and uh, the chance to make not just new products, but whole new industries, if you look at what they're doing in high-speed trains or in energy. What collaboration do you see happening in the future between Britain and China that isn't we're the architects, they're the builders, we're the highly paid R&Ders, they're the doers who will remain lower paid, and thinking 10, 20 years out, where would you like to see that go? I'm afraid I'm not going to comment because you don't want to hear from me, I'm sure, but Martin. You know that the, uh, the, the government of China have made it quite clear that the strength of their economy will be based on three very strong pillars. Uh, the first one is the one that we all know it for, which is export, that they will make our things, right? The second one is driving domestic consumption, which they're starting to do an incredibly good job at. And the third one is that they're going to have world-dominant brands. And that's the one that they're screwing up at the moment, but they won't do forever. Now, I think, could there be a better economic program than that? Because isn't that what our economy was based on many, many years ago, and the powerhouse economy of America? So my answer would be that um, I think we have to turn the tables a little bit. What they've done is they've set out to beat us at our own game. Now it's become their game, so we have to beat them at their game. So I think there are certain things we can do. And looking very, in a very insular way, David Cameron and his team can make sure that there aren't any obvious debilitators that are set in our path in trying to do that. A very good example would be intellectual property theft. Right? He has the ear now of the Chinese Premier, so he needs to make sure that instead of them getting a slap on the wrist and then just closing that factory down and opening up round the corner, that they actually go down for it. They go to prison, they get fines, their business licenses as directors are removed, expunged forever. We need, we need to get very, very tough indeed. And I, would, I wouldn't be afraid at all of Chinese investment, by the way. I think the, Chi the Chinese money is in abundance. Then if we can get that money coming into the UK, into development zones, creating manufacturing jobs and just a huge local and national economic uh, input, I think that would be a great thing for us to do. Why not? Great. I think one very, very quick final one, Neil. Uh, Neil Collins. Um, Dyson obviously is a great business, as I know, uh, and it's always put forward as the poster child. The real question, I think, is where are the next ones? How do we set things up so that somebody like James Dyson or somebody who's not quite got his drive and determination to overcome failure, how can we set things up so that in five years' time these people are starting down the track that you have so well explained to us. That surely is the problem. Now, we don't have enough companies like this mm -hmm. to drive the growth that we have to have. Those of us who are in business, we would take a problem like this and we would go right back to zero on it because that's what good business people do. 
And I think that's what we're getting wrong at the moment. We're coming part of the way down a chain and we're stopping at manufacturing and thinking, how do we excite and accelerate manufacturing? If we go all the way to zero, we probably are, and I know this is happening, back to my cohesive point, but not cohesively, we'd probably be looking at nine and 10-year-olds. So we do a really, really good job of how do we make sure that they get excited about what we're talking about. But then when companies do start to emerge, we'd be thinking about how do we support them? How do we make sure that they get support, government support, advisory and financial around tricky matters like uh, foreign trading, intellectual property protection? How do we encourage them, therefore, giving them capital incentives, greater R&D credits, so they actually feel like UK PLC is going along with them? I think that will encourage more businesses to try. I spoke to somebody who runs a small business who's developing overseas just a couple of weeks ago, and I really sensed that the greatest fear was back to that, uh, oh dear, you know, America's a graveyard for British businesses. It's still there. We need to instill belief that we can do it, we can conquer it. There's nothing particularly special, I'm sure you wouldn't mind me saying this, about what James Dyson did. Very clever invention. Uh, but the risk-taking in that business was extraordinary. And that's what we need to encourage. But I think, Neil, it goes all the way through the chain. Martin, thank you very much indeed. And uh, let's show our appreciation for your very interesting... Thank you. Cheers. Thank you very much. Thank you, Thank you very much. Thank you.